a managed service provider can assist your company meet HIPAA compliance requirements. Jason Karn, Chief Compliance Officer for Total HIPAA, recently talked with Greg Manson, Director of Audit and Compliance at Carolina's IT, a managed service provider. Healthcare providers, health insurance agents, employers that provide health benefits, and business associates that see protected health information must implement HIPAA compliance. Greg talks about why a company that needs to be HIPAA compliant would turn to a managed service provider. He also discusses what questions a company that must be HIPAA compliant needs to ask a managed service provider before hiring and how to properly manage that relationship. Why would somebody who needs to meet HIPAA requirements move to a, use a managed service provider? So we have to be, we have to operate in a controlled environment to do business with our customers. We have thousands of customers. Now, not all of them are requiring the requirements, but we have to apply, apply that approach consistently to all of our clients. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking for somebody that's going to mind HIPAA, that's aware of it, that has to deal with it in environments all across the state and country. We have SOPs that are created in situations when required for specific clients Mm -hmm. so that we can make sure that we're addressing their needs in a way that uh, will keep them in line with whatever regulatory environment they have. What are some questions that a company or practice that needs these compliance issues Address should be asking their managed service provider before they contract with them? That's a good question. I would want to see the MSP's quality system. What are you doing for controls in your environment right now? What can we see? Mm-hmm. Do you have your own policies for handling staff that are going to get access to our privileged accounts? You know, I want to make sure that you don't have everybody in your company accessing my administrator account. I want to know that when one of your staff leaves, they're not going to be able to do anything on my environment. So let me see what your quality, you know, what you have for SOPs and employee handbooks and procedures for handling your staff because it's a staff-based thing. Right. Um, after that, you want to see what they're following with regard to to best practice and what technologies they are using. I think you can safely ask that if they, they should have a ticket system because I'm going to want to have logging and reporting and the, I'm going to have logging and reporting and one of the things that we typically get our evidence from is a ticketing system. Mm-hmm. So what are you using for that? What are you using to monitor our systems? Right. When you go in first with a pro services project, what tools are going to be mapping our network? Are they intrusive? Are they going to require an appliance? Are they going to require us to install something on our endpoints that could impact processing or a validated state of a system? Okay. What are you going to do to continuously monitor those systems? How am I, how am I going to know? So I'm saying go to the quality system, look at procedures and controls first if I'm the client. Right. Uh, and it's fun when I have that conversation. It does resonate uh, ultimately and unfortunately it does come down a lot to price and reputation. Are they cost-effective, and are they doing it for companies like us? Mm-hmm. And if you can meet those criteria, generally, that's what we're seeing. So, and actually, here's a story. Here's how it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, practice manager, director of nursing, health director, 
one of those people became aware that they needed to do a security risk assessment, probably because they checked box 13 of meaningful use. And, right. And they're like, oh, darn it, I haven't really done one, and maybe I need to do one now. Right. Um, and, you know, we, we, they were moving on from meaningful use, but the, that was usually with the impetus. Right. And they'll, they'll contact us, and they'll be all happy to get us in, and they'll... To, talk to their IT, even if it's an MSP or internal IT, and they'll say, hey, we need to do this risk assessment. IT will put up all sorts of barriers. We do the intro call. We're talking through the sales cycle. IT hates us. Right. Like, I don't want you scanning my environment. I don't want my staff to have to sit there while you're putting tools on and pulling stuff off that's only going to report negatively about me. Right. And I tell them that you're just going to have to trust me. Right. But at the end of this process... I'm going to be your best friend. Now, right. This is me talking to the IT director, and the director of nursing is going to hate me. <laughs> right. Why? Because when we engage, the report yields evidence of what IT has been asking for as gaps. Right. So they say, we've, we've got an ASA 5505 mm-hmm. on it as our firewall. That's right. wholly inadequate. So we're, we flagged that at one of the top things. Obviously, it's on the perimeter. IT directors that's fan- thinks that's fantastic because now this is going to management. It's going to a board of directors, county commissioners to say, this is one of your number one risks. IT has been saying it for three years. You've been ignoring their budget request. Now it's on paper, and we're saying you have to work on it for, because of willful neglect. Right. So what are you going to do, managers? Yeah. And IT loves it. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it. I've seen whole counties that had been denied year after year replacing Windows Server 2003 in their environment. Mm-hmm. Just, we got to get it out of here. And then I come in and give the report, and lo and behold, six months later, brand new servers come in, um, you know, 2012, with, um, you know, brand new AD, all the controls we wanted. These guys were beside themselves because they hadn't been able to push it. So, and then on the flip side... The DON or the health director or the practice manager is all excited. They come in, and the other half is the controls review. Mm-hmm. Let's look at what policies you have. Right. And generally, if they have any, they're completely lacking. Yeah. And then after we look at those, we talk about the processes. Because from there, if you don't have the policy or procedure documented, we've got to find out what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And... That process yields a management plan as well, right. and also high priority, including typically five to ten policies and procedures that they have to create, mm-hmm. usually mandating training, yep. which they haven't done, and now they're responsible for all this new administrative tasks that they didn't really think about when they brought us in. Right. So IT's getting someone that affirms what they've been asking for and management's getting something they didn't know they had to do. Right. And that's where we end up in this, in this relationship. How do you go about making sure you make a, a process that is something that a staff member or a person can, can follow? So the macro concept is to sell the organization on the fact that they're doing a risk assessment. They're getting a management plan that's going to prescribe activities for them to do on a risk-based priority and get 
you got to start with the HIPAA committee that you're working with. Then you got to get management to understand that. Then you get to get the staff to understand that. And that's a key tenet of the training. Right. When you bring in and introduce security, because it is almost all universally introduced mm-hmm. after we do our risk assessment. Right. Is that we've, we've looked at you have to understand that you have risk. And when we're asking for you to do something, it's been assessed at a level that has some financial impact to us mm-hmm. or it has some time impact. You can right. put a quantity on that risk. And that's one of our unique capabilities is to help people understand that if we're going to come in and implement a new requirement for you, if it's mm-hmm. two-factor authentication or if it's even as simple as just changing the length of the password requirement right. or putting a session timeout, which I get a ton of feedback. I get blowback on session timeouts more than anything. Right. You know, this is logical, people, and, and they just hate session timeouts. Um, so, but when you're putting that in there, you're explaining to them that, yes, it may cause you to have to do something that could cost two minutes, but the risk of this, because it's a cloud-based DHR and you allow access to that instance from anywhere in the world, we don't want to have a 30-minute session timeout where you could be at a hotel computer. We can't keep you from going to that hotel computer and log on to the HR and you, your cab ride, Uber ride shows up and you forgot to sign off. Right. We can't afford to have that happen now. Yeah. And the impact is going to be millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's going to take you two minutes. Two, you, it reinforces better behavior also. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to be thinking about actually logging off their session or locking their screens. Uh, so that, that's the intertwining of identifying what the impact could be. Mm-hmm matched with the probability of the risk, showing that there's a real financial impact, identifying the steps that they have to have in the training, and then the training reinforces other concepts downstream. So it's really uh, an orchestrated process to get Mm -hmm. them to go along with it. Because some things you just have to do. I mean, you have to have a session timeout. Mm -hmm. You, You know, will want to do dual factor authentication and it is inconvenient heck we still have some practices that want to use generic accounts so uh you know you've got all the nurses logging on we got no logging at all it's horrible and then what happens when that nurse leaves and it's a cloud-based ehr Right, and you didn't change the password because they're all using the same one, and now that nurse who's now totally out of control still has access to your HR because they know the credentials. Uh, we had one, we had one client complain to us when they had to change their passwords from one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, <laughs> and I went, and he said, "You realize how many times people came to me, and I had to reset passwords so many times because we finally went to individualized passwords for each person, and I, my head was exploding. I was in there going, how." You came to me and you're complaining to me that I'm asking you to put in, yeah. put in, you know, eight characters with special characters and upper, uppercase, lowercase letters, and your for a minimum of your password. I mean, I would prefer it if you had ten characters uh, to go with and dual and two factor authentication. I mean, yeah. I, I use that on everything I do. It takes me an extra, you know, thirty seconds yep. to pull it up, but it's it's that extra bit of security knowing that, you know. 
just, I guess, what is it, a couple years back, was it OPM or the guys from uh, that do all the background checks for FBI? If turns out they were supposed to put in two-factor authentication, they didn't, and all everybody's information was hacked because an, an account somebody had had hacked the password and was slowly siphoning off yeah. information, and they figured out that practically every person who had gone through uh, extensive background checks, their information had been leaked. Yeah, to probably the Russians, Chinese, yeah. who knows. We, um, it's enlightening to see how at risk you really are. Like right. conventions, when we use a tool called Hashcat to figure out the password, what it does circumvents all of the things that I thought were actually good controls because I had always considered it to be somebody on the other end, and it's right. not at all. It's somebody on the other end running Hashcat on a GPU from a database that they've created from my website, my Facebook page, my Twitter feed. And then now they're running that and can sit and run to try to figure out my password um, indefinitely and very quickly. So the more, the faster the GPU, the faster they're going to get to to your password. Right. And it changes. So my point is, well, I think you all know that it does give me anecdotes and like heartfelt experience to share with the clients when I typically do I will do an in-person security how not to be a victim type training and I'll bring in those examples to try to get people to say even I thought I was operating and I thought no one would get Greg's quirky algorithm for setting passwords and then I'm like holy crap Right. They are going to figure it out because my algorithm included a way to create my number stream mm-hmm. in the middle of my password. I'm not giving anything. I'm not following it now. Right. Um, but it, Hashcat doesn't care. Hashcat just says we're going to run every combination of, and you can do three, four, five numbers. We're going to run every possible combination against every other w- dictionary word, and we're going to find that password. It doesn't matter how I came up with my number order sequence Mm -hmm. because it's going to just go look at everything anyway right and that means you have to then think about really adhering to password best practices Mm -hmm. and i can dig into those examples even further for for individuals to try to sell that i want to tell everyone listening today that internal penetration testing is 10 times more important than external okay it's the GUI center where all the risk exists. Right. And all an attacker has to do is find one way of ingress, and then they can swim around in that GUI center all day long. Right. Doing that internal pen test is, in fact, if you were to ask me which one you should invest in, mm-hmm. it should be the internal pen test. That's kind of radical because right. a lot of people think, well, let's protect ourselves from the bad outside world. Right. True, but the real risk, the volume. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the, the magnitude of the risk is higher inside right. the actual firewall. So we do penetration tests. Okay. In addition to that, we do uh, on-site social engineering, okay. which works well because we do multiple industries. It works well in banking. Mm-hmm. We have our engineers follow a protocol where they establish a relationship with somebody. And this is totally outside of anybody giving us support from the company. Right. We'll start emails and phone calls and build up sometimes a friendship with Mm -hmm. a branch manager or a practice manager and say, hey, 
you know, I'm with the management company. You can research that, who's holding the... I got to come out there and we got to look at, you know, your air conditioning vents. I mean, anything. Mm-hmm. I'll be out there. And then we're able to ingress with total false credentials because we've built up this relationship with the individual, have unfettered access right. uh, to the environment. If there's paper records room, you can walk right in there. You can actually get access to server rooms. So that that's actually insulting. So what I say the OSE is is that it's a unwelcomed on-site walkthrough because right. it does turn into the walkthrough after that. Mm-hmm. And so we do add that on the front end. And then just general policy and procedure uh, assisting. I think we have such experience in working as IT mm-hmm. that we can help adapt what policies, templates, because everybody's got templates, right? Right. You roll those out, and you and I know you don't want to just see somebody take a template, put it in place, much like what I talked about earlier, and say that's our policy, but they don't follow it. Right. So you have to have someone that can help align a template, Mm -hmm. which is best practice template, with actual operations. Right. We hope you enjoyed this installment of HIPAA Talk. If you have any questions you would like to communicate with our experts, you can find us on Twitter at TotalHIPAA or our website, www.totalhipaa.com or email us at info at totalhipaa.com.